Back to the newspaper business on Scribble. Welcome to Scribble, 30 minutes of conversation, comments, and reviews on reading and writing, editing, publishing, and selling books. I'm Rebecca Wee. And I'm Don Wooten. Tom Lowy is both a reporter and a columnist. He's also our guest on Scribble. That's two different jobs. (laughs) Two different jobs. And, you know, the modern newspaper business is such that you better be prepared for at least two or three. Yeah, yeah. But they're both ones that I love. That's right. You, uh, the newspapers all have a presence on the web, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Thankfully. Do you have to do that too? Yes, there's actually a lot of um, kind of technical things that you have to master in setting up what an at what they call an asset now it used to be a story that you turned into editors and they did everything with it you supplied the words now you often have to lay out the photos and provide video and do video and uh, lay that all out on onto the computer screen which is what the page looks like on the web is that so, more time consuming than it was yes it, it's yeah. more time consuming in especially in for old guys like me <laughs> I'm 53 years old, 54 years old. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been in the business for 30 years. So there's a lot of learning that you have to do um, along the way. And I've actually, the most learning that I've done from a technology standpoint, from a layout standpoint, um, is here at the Quad City Times. I came here in 2019, August of 2019, and it was a different world. I, my old, I was, uh, a three times a week columnist and feature writer with Gatehouse, which is now Gannett. Okay. And um, so I just did a lot of words. I didn't do a lot of <laughs> a lot of the other stuff. Yeah. But but it's you're always learning and it's one of the good things. It's one of the things that you know but, keeps uh, you getting up in the morning. If you don't do columns, you can do feature stories. Right, exactly. And that's what I've mainly done here. I've so I had a column for uh, oh a long time, seventeen years at the I was based out of the Register Mail, but it was a syndicated column called Everyday People. And so mm-hmm. I went out and I met a stranger and I did 800 words on what mainly most of the time was a scene. It was okay. them in, in the environment that we were in talking about whatever it was they were doing or whatever it was that was important to them. Um, some incred- I took some incredible journeys, you know, these hour-long, oh, yeah. two-hour journeys with people, and it was fascinating. I've brought that column here. I was allowed to keep that name, okay. Everyday People, and um, so I've I've done some of that work here, and I'm I'm proud of it. I think it's been good work, but it's not with the kind of um, you know it hasn't been as much as as I think what I'd like to eventually get to. How did you get into the newspaper business? Okay, so I studied creative writing uh-huh. at a small uh-huh. liberal yeah. at a small liberal arts school called Beloit College. Uh-huh. You see what can happen to your students. Oh, <laughs> I'm hoping. But you know, you know what I I grew up um, in New York, and um, my mom 
was an avid reader and she married when I was about 10 and my dad, Dr. Eric Lowy, he became my dad. Mm -hmm. He was a newspaper guy. He loved newspapers. And so very quickly I was exposed to the New York Times and the Post and different newspapers. And so I read Jimmy Breslin and Pete Hamill and especially Roger Angel. He was a baseball columnist at the New York Times. And my father had grown up in Austria until he was nine and fled the Nazis, Mm -hmm. fled when the Nazi invasion. He was not an athlete. He was the farthest thing from an athlete you can imagine. But he loved Roger Angel's writing. A man who knew nothing about baseball read Roger Angel, um, you know, constantly and read anything he wrote. And so uh, I very quickly... And my parents, when they got married, they read out loud to us, and I think that was crucial. Some Mm. of the stuff that they read was over our heads, but you could hear words, and I've always heard words. And I would read the newspaper, and um, I could hear the words. And so uh, that— Even when you're reading silently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I grew up reading newspapers, but it was Pete the Tramp and the Kassenjammer Kids and Maggie and Jiggs. <laughs> I, I grew up at a time, so I'm, like I mentioned, I'm born in 1968, so I'm a little young in the 70s, but I'm right at the age, impressionable, impressionable age for things like The Son of Sam and oh, Jimmy yeah. Breslin and, yep. and, and, the, and the newspaper wars covering The Son of Sam. And so I remember that vividly, and I was transfixed by Mm -hmm. what Jimmy Breslin did and other columnists. And I think I knew when I was 12 that I wanted to be a newspaper columnist. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to be a certain kind of newspaper columnist. I wanted to be the guy that sat in the bars or sat on the park (laughs) park bench Uh or at the bus stop or in the back room of the union meeting. And those are all things I've done. And I'm very, very lucky that's what got you doing the everyday people then, right? Exactly. So I wanted exactly. to ask how you, how you, is that how you did it? You'd find some location and you'd make right, eye I, contact with somebody. Right. Who I would, I would stake out a location uh-huh. and um, really just try to approach people in a very open way. A lot of what I do now is in the aftermath of crimes. I knock on doors in neighborhoods, or social media has actually made it a whole. There's a whole other level of con- of your ability to contact, to reach out yeah. and attempt to contact people. And so, you know, I reach out through social media to contact loved ones or survivors or or whatever. I once wrote a column talking to kids stranded in a new uh, stranded in a snowstorm on their way after Thanksgiving to uh, returning to Western uh-huh. uh, Illinois University, and um, they were stranded. 20 miles outside of Macomb, and I was talking to them live. I had found them on Facebook because they had posted about okay. it, and 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 I was I talked to them live right there in the car. It wasn't them remembering it. It was a column that unfolded with the happening. moment they got stuck. Yeah. And so um, I really enjoy that. Um, I'm, I'm not a government rep- – I can do a lot of different things. I was a sports writer for 17 years okay. and a sports columnist for 12 of those years. Um, okay, so you were corrupted by a creative writing. 
I was. I, I, you know, I was heavily influenced. I get to college, and I'm reading Raymond Carver, and I'm and and um, Ursula Le Guin, Kay yeah. Le Guin, was oh, yeah. a big influence on on me at that time. And it again, I had grown up on the classics. I had grown up on newspapers, and then I was kind of thrust into this world of modern um, American literature, mm-hmm. and you know, seeing the ties back to people like Hemingway and. Faulkner. And this whole time, too, I, I have to mention, I, images are very much part of what yeah. I try to write about. And so movies have been a big thing. And, and my, my father introduced me to writers like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett and James and M. Kane, the pulp writers of the 30s. Hmm. And they had a tremendous influence on the way I view news. A lot of those guys were also newspaper men. I have to check. Sure. Did you read Ross McDonald? Of course I did. That would be... <laughs> Archer that became the movie Harper. Yeah. Yes. Ross McDonald of that Southern Illinois yes. private detective school. That's Dashiell right. Dashiell Hammett, Raymond Chandler, and then there's Ross McDonald. There's right Ross the McDonald, yes. <laughs> a great writer. How is it you did not become a writer but became a newspaper person? I, d- I didn't understand how to become a writer. I didn't, <laughs> Nobody I didn't, does. I didn't understand. You know what I did after college? I took a job. Working marketing with Walden Books, which was a uh-huh. book chain. Yeah. That was somehow I thought. I think I thought that that would get me closer to to writing. It introduced me to a whole to popular fiction, but um, I became a newspaper guy because uh, it was the kind of writing that I really wanted to do. I like um, I like the format. I like the immediacy, and I like the connection. You can't be a newspaper guy if you aren't listening. And um, as a writer, I'm fueled by listening to people, and and that's and that's what my so I certainly have an imagination, and I certainly always think um, about little stories. But what I really want to do is I want to go out and meet somebody and listen to them and tell that story. To be honest with you, and I, when I was a sports writer, I met these fascinating kids and. Um, athletes and coaches, people who were passionate about the things they were doing, and really writing about the games fell away. It became more about writing about these 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 kids, and um, I got a lot out of that. I'm, again, very fortunate. So the newspapers, the newspaper gives me the fuel, I think, in a way. And deadlines? the format. Is that part of it? Deadlines and, and... Deadlines, but also... Sure, that's the format. Yeah. The deadlines and the structure. The um, the fuel is talking to people, going to... Seeing a scene. Um, so crime fiction is something that I've always read a lot of, but I've actually seen crime scenes. I've actually seen tragedy and, and mm-hmm. horror and the aftermath of things. And to me, that's somehow more than... Um, what I could have done making it up. Isn't mm. that interesting that you have been able to work at some, make a living at something you really want to do? I, there, so many people in this world are not that lucky. Yeah. You, uh, I'm a child of the Depression, and what we take out of that is you've got to have a job. Yeah. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it, but you've got to have a job. Yeah. You have to earn your way, get a paycheck every week or two weeks or one month, but live on that paycheck. And uh, the thought was not 
to do something that you enjoyed, uh, but to find something that you could do and make a living. The great fortune is to be able to find something you love doing yeah. and then get paid for it. Yeah, that's why I think I said at the top of the show, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And I agree with you completely. Um, again, my parents, they, they encouraged a liberal arts school because I wanted to go there because I could play football and baseball, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was um, the school, by the way? <laughs> Beloit College in, Beloit? in Wisconsin. It's yeah. right above, the, it's right above uh, Rockford. Mm-hmm. South Beloit actually is in Illinois. Um, but they they encouraged me to um, to learn a lot of different things and to do a lot of different things and um, and they always preached do what you love if you can do do make that effort to do the thing you love and so I I started at the Peoria Journal Star I did not have a journalism degree I started at the Peoria Journal Star answering phones and. Um, there were 20 of us the first night of high school football season. Uh-huh. We answered phones and we took the score. And the next week, there were 12 of us because they <laughs> cut the eight they didn't like. And uh-huh. then the week after that, there were eight of us. And we were the crew. We were the phone crew. And if you made it that far, um, you know, you, you, you got to spend the year answering phones and taking scores. <laughs> and every once in a while, you get to write briefs. You know, uh-huh. from the from the different statistics that were assembled, and that's how I started. The very first thing I covered was a, a sailboat regatta on the Illinois River. I know nothing <laughs> about I know nothing about sailboats. I know nothing about sailing. And I got I got I cornered this old guy in a boat. His name was Jim Dinan, and I said, Mister Dinan. Can you tell me what I'm watching? And, and we sat there. It was some of the best 90 minutes of my life. Oh, but that was that, that was that was my story. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that is a newspaper man right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You find the source and you work it. That's right. <laughs> and, and do you find in general that people are receptive? You don't have people running away and saying, "Don't talk to me." You don't. know. Can I can I be perfectly honest? They used to be a lot more receptive before the ideas of things like fake news and the mistrust oh, of the media. Oh yeah. And that yeah. has soared unfortunately, but I will say this. That is still pretty rare. Um there are people who don't want to talk, especially in situations in the aftermath of violence. There are yeah. people that live in neighborhoods who don't want you on their front porch yeah. and they don't want to be seen talking about anything. And that's perfectly understandable. But I do find that um, people are uh, surprisingly receptive yeah. to when when I think everybody has a story, right? And they get they they have that story about themselves. And I'm I'm doing it right now, right? Yeah. You're asking me. I think mm-hmm. one of the things that people love is is to to be asked questions and to actually be listened to. And so I've worked very hard on skills like actively listening. Um, I write down what they say. I don't mm-hmm. put a recorder in their face. And um, I, I pride myself on my ability to interview people and my ability to see the people who need to be interviewed or find the people yeah. who need to be interviewed. How do you – you mentioned going and sitting in a bar or staking out a park or something like that. Sure. How do you – is it an instinctive thing to to think that person is yeah. willing to talk to me and yeah. has something worthwhile to say? I look for the person who doesn't who 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 stands out or the person who looks like they don't want to stand out. Mm-hmm. 
You know, if I'm feeling particularly adventurous. Uh-huh. But, um, and a lot of it is, uh, what's the old term, shoe leather, right? You, you knock on doors, you walk, mm-hmm. you walk the neighborhoods, and um, sometimes I just knock on doors and I give people my card and I say, you know, if things are going on that, that you want to talk about, and this it can be good things or negative things, whatever. One of the problems is, is that so many newspapers show up in neighborhood. I'll never forget the first fatal shooting that I covered. A kid said to me, you get, the only time you guys come down here is when somebody gets shot. Mm. And that was really true. We, we too often don't tell the stories of the other things that happen yeah. in neighborhoods, the life that happens yeah. in neighborhoods. And so that's what everyday people is definitely an attempt to do is to talk about life as much as possible. Yeah. You know, it's absolutely true that every person has a story. And to them, it may seem mundane and, you know, not worth much, but it's their story. Right. And their take on that and their view of what's happened to them. Right. And the opportunities they've seized and the ones they've walked away from. And you get to talking to people and let them know that, you know, I want to hear you. I'm interested in you. And once that happens, uh, I remember one time I got to thinking, am I wearing a Roman collar? Because why are people confessing Confessing. to me all the time? Yeah. (laughs) I think... Go ahead. I'm sorry. That no, that happens with teaching too. You right. know that especially it's one of the reasons I like teaching creative writing is that you get to ask them something about their lives that you know if you if you get lucky or they're in the right mood or place it just takes off and right. and they don't get to do that in a lot of classes, right? You're supposed to leave yourself out of your writing. You're not supposed to use I, and you're not right. you know. And so when you Give them a chance to do that. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, but how, you know, you obviously have built a career listening and writing. And now you're uh, not exactly broadcasting, but uh, the next best thing, social media. Uh, how have you adjusted to that? It, with fits and starts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so some of what I did and what I've done really – um, works out well in social media. I I think that um, these are not the, very rarely is any news broken in a everyday people column or some of the stories. A lot of the stories I write aren't so much um, news, but they're kind of meditations on mm. th- the things we know um, already and and mixed in with the experiences of the people involved. And so that, that they've, I think what newspapers are finding is that those kinds of stories engage people. They don't engage millions of people or hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of people, but what they do is they engage and they, they help, they think now that it helps grow readership. Um, that's been a very um, kind of reassuring thing for me because uh, I don't always run great numbers on some of the things that that I write, but the engagement, the people that are there, they're on the page, they yeah. read that. And so, and that's valuable to newspapers in the attempt to build readership, build subscription well, numbers. So wouldn't it help if you recorded people? Yes, it would. And that's something actually, <laughs> when 
when I was at the Register Mail, that's something that we really started thinking about and planning was a more uh, visual, a more oral, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a recorded kind of everyday people. Now, that one it is one thing to get someone to talk to you and you're writing down yeah. what they say. Yeah. It's another thing. Exactly. I, you as a radio person and maybe you as a teacher know that um, it's another thing when you when you're putting especially video. Yeah. I do yeah. stories with people and they they are great great interviews or whatever and the minute you bring up video they they you can see the you know, just the enthusiasm drain out of them. This is not a desire to do video. I, I find that younger people are a lot more amenable. I was going to ask. I would love they're to. They're taping themselves yeah. all the time. Right. You know, and I would love to be a sports writer now in the day and age. I wouldn't do any game stories. Yeah. I would go to games and talk to people talk to fans and talk to coaches before and after and talk to players and and get that all on video that that would be amazing and uh, and I think it would be compelling well to, you know kids aren't as self-conscious no they're not you know, well well and they live on their phones you know young, grown up young with the girls are self-conscious Right, because well, I've had daughters that we've oh dear, she had to wear this white blouse and nothing else. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but now they're still picky about it. But they're taking pictures of themselves right. in their white blouse. The and technology, everything, and the immediacy of the result uh-huh. is, I think, frightening for people of over I, a cer- certain age. Yeah. It's perfectly commonplace and yep. natural for yep. uh, people under the age of thirty. Yeah. I think I remember making fun of my kids and my stepkids when they first started just, um, you know, taking pictures of their dinner plate and posting it, you know, and yeah. thinking, why does anyone want to know what you're eating? You know, but, but they do. Oh, they do. But They've a certain, got a, you yeah, know, it's, a certain niche does. It's amazing. I, yeah. it does. I've never understood that. Yeah. But, but it's a great question because I think one of the challenges for the old you know, I'm an old dog, and one of the challenges is, and one of the things that I learned from younger journalists is the ease with which they transition, mm. or they don't even transition into social media. It's already it there is. for them. Yeah. And and that that is something that I have to think about every time still. Yeah. I'm still rooted in the words and what it takes to get the words and type mm-hmm. the words and then, yeah, you know, make that something that someone yeah. wants to read i go know. back to newspapers where they had linotype machines right and uh to me that was that was really it i i love the opening of your show the sound of typewriters i yeah i i i loved the idea of newspapers there used to be a show called kolchak the night stalker and it was mm-hmm. a, it was a it was a paranormal show he dealt but he was a reporter. He was an investigative reporter. And he was always Typing. sitting down at his typewriter and banging out these incredible columns, you know. And there's a romance to it. Yeah. You know, doesn't it strike you as really sad that uh, not only are newspapers in decline, but people are actively working to destroy them? Yes. I yes. mean, new, and if you go back in time, I remember when the Chicago Tribune was run by... Colonel McCormick. Colonel the McCormick. He hated family. the British, even though he had a British nickname, Bertie. <laughs> and his prejudices would show up in news stories. Right. 
And then the, the profession of journalism came along where you were really learning not to do that, to be right. objective, to mm -hmm. try to get the facts and stick to that and don't project anything of yourself into it. Right. And now that we've developed this whole culture of professional journalists, we have people actively turning against it, calling it fake news when right. it's only the real news. Right, mm -hmm. right. And uh, that's got to be a very dispiriting thing. It is. Um, I th the, the biggest frustration um, for me is people talk about um, the media as if it's a kind of monolithic structure and that we're all marching in step to some kind of <laughs> trumpeter. And I, I just, I want to tell them, look, the, the, even, even the most like visually or whatever lack of diversity, there's always a diversity of ideas, almost always. And news, newspaper people, I think by and large, and media people to to some extent, to a great extent, are um, very interested in – they're curious. And yeah. that's the other reason why I'm a newspaper guy. I get to write I'm, – I'm curious. I, I want to know what's going on down the street. Yeah. I want to know why the cops were gathered at whatever bar at 2 in the morning or whatever mm -hmm. you pick up off the police report. I want to uh, – I think, I think people – I think writers um, are curious – in the, even fiction writers, they're curious about some part of the human condition or something inside them or, or something that they went through and they can turn that into – I think people that want to tell stories, yeah. they, they want to be the guy at the campfire that Orson Welles always talked about, right? <laughs> be the guy – be the person at the campfire telling the story. But they also – they're also curious people. I, I really believe that. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to get people to understand that – the great value of newspapers and of professional news organizations right, right, is radio. that you have editors. Right. And a reporter brings in a hot story and the editor says, uh, are you sure of this? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. what's the proof? There is you definitely. You talk to other people? What? And yeah. the business of editing, it slows it down. You don't go right on the internet and say, look right. what I found. Exactly. Yeah. It, there is a rigor to it that people don't ever, don't even realize. Yeah. Even column writings, even opinion columnists. Oh, yeah. They will yeah. be subjected to rigor. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I've been rigored a few times. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... Uh, you don't lose your enthusiasm for it, huh? No, no. Um, I've, I was called into an office one. I, I, I was very successful at with uh, Gatehouse. I was a very honored and uh, award-winning journalist in Illinois. And one Thursday morning, I was called in and let go. Hmm. And um, the first thing that I wanted to do when I walked out of there was go find my next newspaper job. Uh -huh. Yeah, and. Uh, Fortunately, I, I knew some editors up here, and they had already been in contact with me in, in previous times sure. to kind of bring me up. And But I, I was very fortunate. But, um, yeah, I, I haven't lost my enthusiasm for storytelling. Never. Well, yeah. you know, we are turning out so many journalism students, and the jobs are evaporating. Right. And it's unfortunate. And you think there's something terribly wrong in this. Because we need newspapers. We need edited newspapers. Yep. What we don't need is somebody going on the Internet and saying whatever they think. Yeah. Yep. Because that may be of interest to them, but it, you know, somebody who 
is not does not know uh, facts about anything may think, oh, is that the case? And it spreads. Yeah. It spreads it really like does. cancer. It's just awful. Yeah. Well, I must say, Tom, you've uh, you've had a very interesting life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And anytime you want to come back and talk, uh, want me to come back and talk, I'd be I'd be more than happy to. I've I this is kind of energizing also. Yeah. The, the, oh, talking yeah. to other creative people is always nice that's one of the reasons we have fun with this is you know even if people come in kind of anxious it's we're just talking yeah. and yeah. it's yeah. it's well, we're, we're done talking well, now. We stop. Yeah, we okay. are. tom Loy, thank you so much for being here thank you it's it been a pleasure. a pleasure and that'll do it for this edition i'm don wooten with rebecca wee we'll be here next week and we hope you will too for the next edition of scribble